What is this, three or four? This is four. This is four of the A. <laughs> well, we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. This is Reg Clay and, this and Norman G. All right, so uh, what's going on? How was your week? I, I feel like I'm a broken record. Every week is like, oh, my God. But what, for me, what's coming up is um, I have kids performing this weekend. Mm-hmm. I, I teach up at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts Theater. And I've got a young lady who I didn't realize is a senior. She's about to go off to college. All right. And she elected to do a Shakespeare monologue, which we don't often mm-hmm. focus on that kind of material up there. But yeah, she said she wanted to do it. Um, she's been doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so what, I what had my last class last with her last night, and yeah. uh, there's a we do a thing. It's called a thousand steps. Yeah. You know, it's the idea being that um, in the arts, ten, it takes ten thousand steps to to get to that place, mm-hmm. to, to make that journey to yeah. um, to virtuosity, to becoming a professional artist. Sure. Okay. Um, and so this is just a thousand steps. Mm-hmm. You know, each year you you if you've been working hard at it, you yeah. maybe got a thousand. That's steps. right. You keep on growing and growing. So we give them a thousand steps. So she's gonna uh, the kids, all the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, will be performing this Saturday and Sunday up in Richmond at the yeah. Center for I'm curious as to what monologue she's going to do. I'm thinking Portia doing, from... No, uh, no. Um, the prologue from Henry V. Very nice. Oh, for music by... Fire. Would ascend the highest Highest heaven heaven of invention. That's right. And her name is Heaven. <laughs> is that right? Her, yes. her name is Heaven. Right on. Yeah, so... Um, I remember, so if, if there's anyone listening who uh, graduated with me from Duke Ellington and Washington, she was our valedictorian. That was one of her favorite monologues. She loved doing that. It's a gorgeous monologue, and I brought it in to use it as a just sort of a vocal warm-up and to talk a little bit about Shakespeare and verse and metaphor, mm-hmm. and um, she just liked it. She decided she wanted to. Excellent. So that was last night. This morning, I have a class where I've been teaching at this school on the peninsula for 18 years now, mm-hmm. and each year we take a seventh grade class and break it up. They're going to go, in a few weeks, they're going to go up to Ashland and see a bunch of the shows. Mm-hmm. So we do a little presentation based on each of the shows. And I'm working on Hannah and the Great Gazebo. I definitely want to talk more about that as we're going on. Mm-hmm. Hannah and the Great Gazebo um, came through the Bay Area to the Bay Area Playwrights Festival and got workshop in 2013. It was written as a res- partly as a response to Kim Jong-il mm-hmm. dying. And, you know, the whole world's like, oh, North Korea, what's going to happen? Right. What are we going to do? Right. Well, it's funny because you would think a topic like that four years later would just be on the shelf and nobody would care. But here we all going, oh, North Korea. <coughs> right, right, everything. exactly, yeah. Um, so I said, let's do that one. Mm-hmm. And it's been an interesting challenge. I definitely would love to come back and talk more about it. Mm-hmm. But you reminded me of it when you mentioned the North Korea thing. I was like, yeah, it's what are we going to do? What is the world going to do? What is North Korea going to do? Yeah. All of this is suddenly on the front page of, of the news. Yeah. And, and I know you and I, yeah, yeah, we talk about theater. This is a, you know, uh, uh, I guess a theater because we're both actors. Um, but, you know, the theater of life, this is what's going on. But I am convinced every single Republican president, I'm not going to walk out too much into politics, but mm-hmm. every single Republican president, since Nixon, with the exception of Ford, who was not elected at all. He was right. He's the only president not to be elected president or vice president. Right. Did you know that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But they've all started a war or escalated right. a war. Right. 
And I, I, I swear to you, I mean, I hear I heard Rex Tillerson talk today mm-hmm. about, hey, you know, we got to do something. It can't be the same old, same old. We got to do something about North Korea. Oh, but that's what I wanted to mention. About yeah, that. I love. They're saying that, but what is the actual policy they seem to be implementing? Exactly what Obama did. We're going to do some sanctions. We're going to keep an eye on them. But I love this ridiculous statement that Tillerson keeps making. Mm-hmm. All options are on the table. All the military options are on the table. All the nuclear options are on the table. Because maybe you're forgetting our ally is South Korea. Mm-hmm. They're right across the border. That's the back fence. When you throw a nuke into North Korea, you are irradiating South Korea. Yeah. You are killing generations mm-hmm. of South Koreans. Mm-hmm. So that's your that's your option. That's that's on the table. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there's this. You're going to kill, you're going to destroy the village? To, yeah. To, to, to save I mean, there's, the this, there's a saber, saber, saber rattling, which is never healthy. And it reminds me of the Truman administration and, you know, the Korean War. Right. And the fact that MacArthur wanted, you know, you know, they, you have the war in Korea where right. we pushed the North Koreans back. But we almost got into a war with China. Right. Which is, that's how. Because that's their other neighbor. Right, exactly, and their ally, and we nearly got into a war with them until uh, Truman fired MacArthur, and we have that speech, um, old soldiers don't die, they fade away. Right. But that's, you have to watch out what you say. Mm-hmm. I mean, and North Korea, they launched some missiles uh, today. Right. Apparently they failed. That were fails. Right. Yeah. I wonder if they don't just say, okay, so, so this is a bad one too, right? Let's go ahead and launch that. It's all just saber-rattling, saber right. you know. It is, it is. But it's also funny that something like that goes on, mm-hmm. and we all just sort of accept it. When I had to talk to the kids about the history, our history, mm-hmm. America's history with Korea, yeah. I mean, I had my own personal history with Korea. It was the first place I was stationed when I was in the Army. Mm-hmm. But um, learning that history, we all sort of take it as a fact. Oh, there's North Korea, there's South Korea, there's the demilitarized zone, the mm-hmm. DMZ. It's a ceasefire. It's the longest existing ceasefire in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's just the way it is. And by accepting things as the way it is, we don't make any steps towards seriously changing it. So I remember I was just doing my teaching artist stuff um, when the wall fell. Is that right? In 89? In 89. I, yeah. Um, and, or actually, I guess I went and I talked to a class of high school students. Yeah. I was invited in on career day. Okay. And, um, and you know, it's talking about the wall coming down in, right. in Germany and how amazing that was. And yeah. Just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we've been hearing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not at all interested. <laughs> and okay. I realized when you try to explain something like that, okay, well, Germany was a country, and then there was World War II, yeah. and then we split it up, yeah. and part of it was communist, and part of it wasn't. <clears throat> and finally, and they built a wall. And then the communists, you know, as the USSR dissolved, the right. Soviet Union dissolved, right. the wall came down, mm-hmm. and Germany was reunited. Well, the fact that the wall doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Building a wall is stupid. Right. It was stupid then. Mm-hmm. It is stupid now. Right. And so when you try to tell that to a young person, they're like, well, it doesn't make any sense, right? You're like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So they tore it down. They're like... Okay, yeah, good. What, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, they don't. They, of course, they don't understand the whole Cold War. Like, if you ask a young person now, I don't now, think it makes sense. I think that's why they don't understand it. Right, exactly. And it's good that it doesn't make sense. But if they don't have the context of the whole Cold War, not to say that it right. makes sense if you do know the context. I mean, right. the whole thing is kind of stupid anyway. Yeah. The whole domino theory. Right. And you know, no, what, right. None of these things hour. have been proven. And yeah. yeah, so when you try to tell that young person that this stupid thing that got put in place has finally been fixed, mm-hmm. the young person just looks at you like, "Well, cool, it's fixed. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal?" Yeah. Uh, but they will, if anybody who's grown up in the last fifty years has grown up with this idea of North and South Korea as mm-hmm. some sort of normal reality, and it's only been in these last few. Decades where suddenly it's heated up again. Yeah, with yeah. North Korea, but mm-hmm. partly because North Korea's got nothing else. Yeah, if they don't keep this hot. What else have they got? Right, exactly. And I wonder because the, the Kim Il is it Kim Il Jong, the the, the son yeah. who is now the leader. Yeah. I, I don't know how old he is, but I, number one, I don't even know if he's running the country, and it could be just the generals. Right. But you get the sense, oh, I'm I'm the new guy now, so I got to do something different for my dad, or I got right. to, I don't know live up to my reputation or something. i got to start something. Right. Which is unfortunate. Well, I find myself, the more this is in the news, I find myself wondering if there are media outlets where you can read what the North Korean side is on this. Mm -hmm. Just curious to know what they're saying, because I don't feel like our press is even, if they reported it the way they're reporting our current president, like, he said this, and here are the facts, that would be great, but I don't feel like we're even getting that. That'd be curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very isolated. I mean, you hear stories about a North Korean going to South Korea or going right. to a Demo- Democratic, and they're just stunned. They're like, oh, my God, they're iPhones or they're right. – it's, it's like they've been living in the past. I, no one has – freedom of movement, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, they're, they're, they're under surveillance. And, um, I do find myself thinking it'd be worth getting more of those stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's part of the work that you do as an actor is you have to do a certain amount of backstory research. Yep. Understand what the play, what is the context of the play you're working mm-hmm. on. When I'm working with seventh graders, I can only get them to do so much of that. And yeah. so at a certain point, I just sort of cut my losses and say, okay, that's enough for them to understand what's going on. Yeah. And the rest of it is just sort of gravy. I, I learn some more, and maybe someday yeah. they'll realize I opened the door mm-hmm. that knowledge to them as well. I get into debates with other actors because I, I learned um, method acting. When I went to NYU, uh, Tisch School of the Arts, and the idea is enmeshing you. I mean, just abs- you are you absorb yourself with sense memory, with a backstory. You are so into the character that you can't see anything else. So, if I were to play a North Korean, I would really get into what it is to live in, in an isolated environment right. where I, everything is structured. Well, and are you a loyalist or not? Right. Because if you're a loyalist, then you're trying to make sense of everything that you're doing. Yeah. And if you're not or you're just questioning, mm-hmm. then it's a totally different yeah. character. And what's interesting, as a young actor, you do these things because your teacher tells you to do it. You, you may not understand how important it is once you get outside into you know the real world and onto a stage and you audition and, and you get the job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're expected, even when you're not in rehearsal to do the work and that is the work right. because when a director when you go back on the stage um, they expect you to have a life right. within you 
right. they expect you. And the whole idea is you're not focused on the audience. You're not focused on you know that this is a stage. Right. Um, you are so enmeshed in the character and the role, and you have an energy about you, which is from the character, which is right. based on the work that you you've done. You're life. bringing something in. Right. You're making that life. Right. You are keeping – and it's funny because it's one of the things that you have to deal with with acting students is they count their lines. Mm-hmm. They know what they say. Mm-hmm. They know when it's your line, not my line. Yeah. And they don't realize that the next step, the next layer of that is to pay attention to what your line is because mm-hmm. maybe I'm responding to your line. And even if I'm not, on some level I am. I, mm-hmm. I might be checking out. Yeah. I might be disagreeing with you but not saying anything. Mm-hmm. In the next scene, I'm going to blow up about it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to start to craft that. So um, one of the fun things that I got to do today was to create an opening tableau for the show. Mm-hmm. And it was partly to show the little bits of story that I know mm-hmm. we we only do. It's going to Which show is this again? This is Hannah and the Dread Gazebo. Got it, okay. And that will be um, a week from next week. Uh, two weeks okay. from Wednesday. From okay. Last Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and you want to have, we only do a 40-minute presentation of the full play, mm-hmm. but I want the actors, their characters, to have that full story in mind because mm-hmm. there are times when it's referenced. And even when it's not referenced, it may just tell you more about where your character's coming from. So doing all that work, you know, it pays off because there are moments when I can feel as an actor, as a director, mm-hmm. I can feel these moments where something is clunky yeah. or something is missing. Right. And the playwright didn't put a line there, mm-hmm. but somehow something was missing. And then you do your work and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, that's because this is a moment where this rela- relationship that we're going to see more of mm-hmm. later or see hear reference to later, mm-hmm. this is that kind of moment. And that's why there's not anything being said. There's a specific silence. There's a light that's going on even in that silence. Right, and that's the real work of the actor. There's, let's say there's a line that, that you may not understand, or, or let's say you don't even have a line in a particular mm-hmm. moment of a scene, but you're still doing something. For me, as, a, as an actor, what I do personally, even before I touch, I read the play, obviously, and then I get a sense of what my character is. I may even write down a character analysis of, of who I am. I may need to read a book or look at a movie or, you know, go on YouTube and do some research. Even before I've looked at my lines, even before I've right. tried studying my lines. Right. It's almost like creating a proverbial bowl or a proverbial um, uh, glass or something. Mm-hmm. And then once I have the lines, there's something that I can put in. Right. So that when I deliver my lines, I'm not just delivering lines. I'm right. delivering now as the character mm-hmm. because now I, there's a vessel to, to, to push it through. Uh, yeah. And that's just personally what I do. Everyone has their own different Everybody methods. Everybody has their way of approaching it. But I know, uh, you know, and I will keep referring to Death of a Salesman because it's the most, right. recent, mm-hmm. most recent big production that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, playing the neighbor, I've got these short scenes with Willie, mm-hmm. but they represent an aspect of his life and the way he relates to the world. So knowing that, it mm-hmm. suddenly becomes a tennis match. Mm-hmm. And if he is the big dog on the on the court, mm-hmm. I gotta be somebody who's coming at him as strong as I can. Doesn't matter that I'm not gonna ultimately be the victor. Mm-hmm. I need to give him a good game. Right. And knowing what that good game is mm-hmm. is partly knowing that work, that life of the character yeah. and 
one story or other. And as the actor, you're feeding the other actor. Right. Yeah. Right. You want to be setting them up. One of the good examples that I use all the time with actors is I say, so when so-and-so starts doing their speech, when they make that one statement and they're asking you a question, Mm -hmm. why don't you answer? Right. You don't answer, but you do something that keeps them talking. Right. Because in monologues often, there are questions in the middle and that's Mm -hmm. a statement that normally you might, your character might have a reaction to. Mm -hmm. It's something that helps that actor continue so that it looks to the audience like it's a dialogue, Mm -hmm. even though it's just your character talking. Here's a question for you as a teacher. Do you talk to them about beats? Do you get into like beat changes and them asking questions among themselves, like, why is my character doing this, and, and, and what's going on here, and, and all of that stuff. I refer to beats, and I give them a definition of beats, and I even give them some examples of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is, that's like the next level. You, know? you don't think they're ready? They're ready. I, I just yeah. don't get the time with them. Got it. Um, I, at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts, I have some students that, like, I have a group of students who have worked with me since I first started at the center, and now they're leaving. It's been four years, mm-hmm. and they're leaving. I'm like, ow. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but in every class I have, mm-hmm. there's always somebody who's brand new. Mm-hmm. There's usually somebody who's brand new and hasn't had any theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. And so the first job is to get them on their feet mm-hmm. and get a script in their hands and get them walking and talking on the stage. Yeah. And sometimes that's as much as I can accomplish in a semester. Mm -hmm. And so I can talk about the other concepts and try to plant those seeds. Yeah. But I don't get to really water and nurture them. Yeah, I hear you. They don't bud. Yeah. And I I ask that because I remember as a kid, um, you know, my my teacher would talk about beats and it would sort of frustrate me because I'm okay, I've got to think about – because he – for anyone who is not, who isn't in the theater, who's listening to this, a beat is basically simply an emotional, an emotional change that happens within a story. It could even happen within a monologue or even uh, a dialogue. Like, let's say, you know, Jack and Jill are together, and Jack has to say, "Listen, I'm leaving you." And, you know, that's a beat change for Jill because well, she has to. that's the example you used from Fences and um, that's right. the first one. That's right. You know, that um, Rose is preparing mm-hmm. breakfast and going through her normal domestic routine. That's right. When this bomb gets dropped on her, that boy's been messing around and got somebody pregnant. Yeah. And she has to have that emotional. Yeah. You, and so as an actor, And I'm convinced that's, how, that's why Octavia, that's why, uh, is that Octavia? No. No, 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 no. no, no. Bio, Viola Davis won the uh, Oscar. Right. Because as an actor, when you read that in the script, you know, oh, that's going to be a hot emotional moment. That's right. Now your job as an actor is to look at what leads up to that and what can you do to set that up mm-hmm. so that when that moment happens, the audience sees you about to put down a plate or stir a pot mm-hmm. when you hear that and you allow Right. And a lot of young actors will wait for that moment and try right. to jump on it on it too early. There's, yeah, there's a whole... And then you have this, these fake emotions or whatever, right. which is, of course, the wrong thing to do. You have to have... One thing, uh, the late, great Fred Lee, he was an acting teacher that we had at Duke Ellington. He was wonderful. He basically says, listen, you got to be doing something on stage, even if before the dialogues even happen. Mm-hmm. What is your character doing? Okay, you're a rose in fences. You're fixing breakfast. 
you fix breakfast every single day. Well, what else are you doing? I mean, you know, when you fix breakfast, you're probably thinking about, okay, I've used up all the eggs. I've got to write down a list of what else I've got to do for shopping or something like that. I've got to clean up the kitchen. You have to have all of the stuff in your mind when you're doing the scene. I love those sorts of moments, setting up that sort of moment. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I love being able to bring things out of real life. Mm-hmm. Now, a problem I have now is I, I keep a pair of reading glasses on me, near me, all the time. Right. I often put them in my pocket, in my mm-hmm. shirt pocket. Mm-hmm. Then I bend over to pick something, even on a desk, bend over to pick something up, my glasses slide out. It mm-hmm. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking to myself, I've got to find a place to put this in a show. Mm-hmm. Because it always frustrates me. I always have to stop what I'm doing and pick up my glasses mm-hmm. again. And usually I stupidly stick them right back in the same pocket so that it happens again. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that in a comedy would be wonderful, but mm-hmm. even in a drama, giving your character these moments, one of the things you end up having to do is trick yourself. Right. So that you can have an honest, real reaction to the moment. And right. You have that's to it. That's set up yeah. the situation so that you are not expecting this to happen. And when mm-hmm. it happens, it catches you off guard and you have an honest reaction. Perfect. <clears throat> and that's exactly the point. Because if you're busy doing other things and if your mind is thinking about other things, mm-hmm. then you will have a visceral reaction to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, your job as the actor to authentically take in what's going on. Right. And, and there's some there's some actors who are like, listen, I know what he's going to tell me. I know that I've got to have a reaction, but it's never going to be authentic because it, it, it just can't be. There are some people who really do think that way. Right. I think you can always have an authentic reaction. It won't be yeah. completely authentic. Right. Well, but you'll have something. As an acting teacher, I came into it sort of through the back door. I, you know, I became an actor. I went out in the world as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I f- eventually found myself in positions where, as an actor, I was doing little workshops. So you're doing quick stuff, stuff where you get people on their feet and give them the experience of theater. Mm-hmm. So all the sort of naturalistic, for lack of a better term, yeah. you know, the moment of just coming in and sitting down. Yeah. And what happens when you come in and you sit down at the end of a long day versus you come in in the morning, mm-hmm. the morning you're getting ready to start your new job and you're excited and you're happy. Yeah. You can get anybody to go through those moments and experience mm-hmm. and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't getting to teaching sort of the mechanics, the Stanislavski of, right. of theater. Right. And, and I still have not fully gotten to the place where that is my, the place I start from mm-hmm. when I teach it. Yeah. Um, I still come at it sort of from a backwards place. Mm-hmm. I want people to have, to see how their regular, normal, everyday experiences will translate to the stage. Absolutely. And then you can set up that moment of, this is the moment that I have to tell you that your son died. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to tell you that. Yeah. So I'm fiddling around doing something else, and it just I end up blurting it out. Yeah. Well, that fiddling around has to be something. I've got to have mm-hmm. a pencil that's going to break or a glass yeah. of water that I need to finish. Yeah. And I, don't you love, I love, if I've got to drink something on stage and we decide, is it going to be real and I'm actually going to drink a glass of water? Mm-hmm. Or is it just going to be a fake glass of water? Yeah. Or a shot. <laughs> right. In, uh, in Death of a Salesman, uh-huh. uh, Bit, the older son, yeah. they take Dad out to dinner. He's got to tell him what a horrible day he's had. Yeah. And his dad just keeps interrupting him and trying to tell, you know, his dad keeps interrupting him with his fantasy mm-hmm. of Bit succeeding, which right. is not what's happened. Right. The drinks come, and Bit takes it. And he's and it's he's asked for doubles, hmm. so this is a double shot. Yeah, and he takes it, 
and he swishes it down. Yeah. He did not drink it all down every night because he was being as real with it as he could be. If this was a real, even if I didn't know what the whiskey was, mm-hmm. if I picked up a glass of whiskey, I would not just slug it all down. I would have to be in a really heightened state for me to slug down a double shot of whiskey. <laughs> right. Yeah. There were nights when he did it, and that mm-hmm. was because emotionally he got there. The other actor so frustrated him that he was like, damn, and he picked it up and went, Goal. Perfect, and, and that and that is absolutely right. But and the other nights he just took a little gulp right. and he put it down and had sure. his own moment. Because every night you're going to feel different things. Right. And there is a debate as to, because there, there are directors and also actors who are like, it's dangerous having these having real real feelings. If you get too close to the character, then you lose control. Right. But that's what the work is all about. The thing is, what I was talking about as far as students are concerned mm-hmm. is the other spectrum where you are not so connected to you know you're just waiting for oh okay this is where I cry let right. me cry and it's not authentic. Right. And the thing is, what is your objective? What is the thing that is so, so, so important to you as this character in this play? And what is your obstacle? Because those, when mm-hmm. I, now when I work on playwriting, when mm-hmm. I teach playwriting, I deal with those two ideas, the objective and the obstacle. Right. Because, and a lot of the work I do for playwriting is in juvie. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with mostly a young male population. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly no father figure around, mm-hmm. or bad, you know, father yeah. figure with a bad influence. Right. But mostly none. Um, and young men, they've grown up in situations, many of them, majority of them, mm-hmm. have grown up in situations where they have not learned good conflict resolution. We yeah. never use that term in our training, but that's what we kind of get to. Yeah. And part of that is when we finally do the lesson on conflict, because good drama has conflict. Exactly. So, and it's funny how resistant they are to something that they clearly have an operating they, style around, but yeah. their operating style is to go from 1 to 60. They just know sure. zero to 60. And, and that makes sense, yeah. And so when you say, well, wait a minute. In this situation where you can't just say to the other guy, I can't just say to you, get out of my way or I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I can't just kill you because you're my brother or you're my father. Right. I'm not going to just kill you. Yeah. So what am I going to stop and say? Mm-hmm. And that ends up being a juicy place. Mm-hmm. As the actor, we know that that's what we're looking for is the, mm-hmm. why can't I just tell you I don't care about you, I'm going to get what I want. Right. You can't go from zero to 60. Right. There has to be a life that builds up to the mm-hmm. conflict. And you have to pay attention to that other stuff because because a lot of what young actors will do is, oh, this is the juicy part. Mm-hmm. Let's say uh, Walter right. Lee Younger in Raisin in the Sun. Right. Let's get to that. I want to see the show for the man. Mm-hmm. Show him what I'm going to see. And, you know, great massa and, you know, but, that, that whole speech. And it's horrible because right. you can see an actor building up to that. And that's what I'm talking about, the difference between objective and obstacle. Right. If you make the obstacle clear for yourself in that moment, mm-hmm. then then having that clear obstacle, mm-hmm. before you try to get to what you want, that obstacle, the frustration of that obstacle will just naturally. Yeah. And the obstacle is usually another reaction. character yeah. stopping you from what you, what you have to do. Right. Like in A Raisin in the Sun, mama. the obstacle is Mama. Yeah. She's not giving up the money. Well, not just not giving up the money. She's sort of saying, son, is that the kind of person you are? Right. Challenging his, that his mirror yeah. that is our family dignity, not <clears throat> right. just your personal integrity, but yeah. our family dignity. Yeah. Are you really going to let and that And his wife. His wife. And his wife. Right. But it's so funny because I love it. He says, um, 
how, how are you going to feel, son? She said, how are you going to feel? He says, I'll feel fine, mom. Yeah, I'm going right. to look at man in the eye. That's and exactly. Gonna, and that's right. I can feel it just talking about it now. Yeah. It's such a wonderful moment because yeah. on the one hand, you are, and these are the places, especially as a director of children, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sorry, y'all, but teens are children. <laughs> um, Don't be offended. Yeah, I, I apologize, but, you know, sometimes I have to demonstrate. And so when I'm doing these demonstrations, I will often often take it to the ridiculous place. So you're having a tantrum. Have you ever seen a two-year-old have a tantrum? Right. Show me your character having that two-year-old tantrum. Right. And everybody knows how to go there. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like to go there, you know how to go sure, there. Sure, sure. And I'm like, so put that in your character. Start mm-hmm. from there, and then we can shape it. Right. And in that monologue, basically, when he's talking about he's going to go to Linder and, you know, mm-hmm. and ask for the money back, He's essentially saying, I'm going to beg to the white man. I'm going to get on my knees and just beg to him. He says it. He literally, I'm yeah. like, please, Mr. Boss. Please, Captain, Mr. Bo- Captain yeah, Captain Boss, Mr. Boss, Mr. Boss man. Oh. I remember that. That was the monologue that got me into Ellington. Um, so I, remember, I know it well. But as an actor, you know you've got to go there, and you know you have a buildup. Right. And you say to yourself, okay, so I've got to really – integrity means a lot to me. What does it mean to lose my integrity? What right. does it mean to be so desperate – that I will do something so degrading. Right. What is it? What? Where in my life have I done that before? Right. And that's where the work begins. That's right. what you do before you go right. to the rehearsal studio. Before, that's what you got to do at home. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what you got to bring in. That's right. that's what you that's what you're unpacking, and that's where this is a collaborative art. Mm-hmm. That's where you're the director didn't tell you to do that. Right. The director's not asking for that. You went to find it for yourself to bring it in and say, I want to add this into the mix. Right. And when it's right, mm-hmm. the director just kind of mm-hmm. gets happy because you just did the job. Mm-hmm. You you made their job a little easier. That's one less thing they have to work hard at making happen. Exactly. You, you, you nailed Yeah, you've got to bring in the work. Just bring in something. And uh, we talked about this before. And as a director, you want an actor to bring in something. Oh, yeah. If they're going too extreme, you'll pull them back. Well, the, the play. Um, We've got Little Sins of Korea and Hannah, mm-hmm. Hannah, the director's ego. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Little Sins of Korea. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, I'm having it recorded, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it as if it's a foreign film. Mm-hmm. And it's great. One of my actors, I had to give him those props today because he was moving his mouth. Mm-hmm. I had the people who are going to – I have some students who speak Korean. Thank okay. You. And they've done a recording of the lines, mm-hmm. and that's what's going to play. And he was moving his mouth, uh-huh. but not completely in sync. Yeah. So it gave us that sense of a foreign film. I, I was so happy. Wow, cool. <laughs> but um, there was something else I was going to say about the. Um, I know we're going to touch into. We have a little. We're going to introduce a segment called "Where Are They Now?" So we'll touch on that. But, we'll get there. But yeah. um, no, just on this on this mm-hmm. idea, mm-hmm. Um, there was one other thing. Oh, just to go back to the teacher thing for a moment. You were talking about your teacher. My first teacher mm-hmm. was um, Don Fricky. Who, as far as I know, is still alive. We are Facebook friends, so I can check and see. Right on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't teaching any of that, which is so funny because one year he was on sabbatical and we had somebody replace him. Mm-hmm. And that person came in wanting to teach you the basics of theater, the, the theory of theater, the, you know, the mm-hmm. strategy. Yeah. And Fricky was not that way. Good. Fricky was a throw you in. Fricky walked up to me one day and said, mm-hmm. You look like a butterfly. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I was in, he got me to sign up for the children's theater class, and he did children's plays, and they actually did them, mm-hmm. and brought in young audiences to mm-hmm. see them, mm-hmm. and he took a play called The Butterfly Whiplash, 
assigned it to the class. Mm -hmm. So he added me in and made a character, a mm -hmm. character, a butterfly called named That's Nice. Mm -hmm. And my only line in the whole play is, that's nice, about a dozen times. So, of course, <laughs> okay. the play, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. And it became a running joke. Well, I didn't know what he was doing or what that was about. But I tell you, when I got in front of an audience and they cracked up, I started feeling how that worked. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's the playwright and the director mm -hmm. helping you, the actor, find something. But then the actor, you have to respond and go, oh, and then you own that. Yeah. And so all of my experiences with, with him, same thing with um, we were also doing around that same time, The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, okay. He yeah. says, you look like a sailor. And he stuck me in the, the lifeboat scene, which mm -hmm. the Titanic goes He obviously, he obviously saw something in you. He just started throwing me in, and I was like, oh. And, yeah, and then I started responding. So by my senior year, yeah, I was one of the actors, you know, getting the big roles in the musical. And nice. That was wonderful. But that's where I started. So it was funny. When I went away to college mm -hmm. and finally learned some Stanislavski, I was like, oh, I want to try and do this. Because before <laughs> that, yeah, I was just sort of doing the shape of it. Right. You know, it was almost all clowning. You know, I'm making – I'm pretending to be this character. Sure. Yeah, everyone has a little shtick. I mean, I've, everyone, like I remember being a kid, I mean, literally like seven or eight, nine years old, and there's always a little, I mean, I ask people, why did you get into acting? And it's usually, oh, when I was a kid and I did a funny thing and someone's like, and someone paid attention, and all of a sudden that that launched me or something like that. So you hear things like that. You mentioned Stanislavski. We were introduced to that in high school and also Uta Hagen, Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting, right. that, that book. But, uh, yeah, t it was t very tough for a 17-year-old to absorb. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, just the whole – but you, you get the idea of the trying to form a community, I guess, Stanislavski back in, in 1900. Right. Really, it wasn't just theater, but they were really trying to communicate a whole new language of, of how to communicate. Well, an actor for Paris is mm -hmm. not just veteran actors, but it's also new, young actors. Mm -hmm. And he sh that book shows how all of them mm -hmm. are – Learning this approach. Yeah. And, and this is back in 1901, right? I guess it's, I know it's around the turn of the century. Right? Yeah. I, I, I'm never clear if it's before or after. Yeah, yeah I, I get the sense it was around the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. I do have a quick question, unless you wanted to jump into another subject. Yeah, go for it. So, um, there was a production, I think it was a Susan Evans, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a play called Sick. And, uh, and it's sick is basically I, I wish I knew who wrote it, but um, basically about these um, these um, residents in New York, and these are these tenants who are doing whatever. But in any case, during one rehearsal, there was one actor. Susan basically says, "Well, listen, I want you to just one person's going to do a monologue, and the other people in your own little apartments. Everyone is in their own little apartment. Just do whatever you just would normally do." And basically giving the actor the freedom to do whatever. Right. One actor just went to on the extreme. I think he was, uh, well, pardon, he, he was he was basically masturbating uh, yes, <laughs> or, or, yes. or simulating whatever. Right. So I guess my question is, as, as a director, how much leeway can, can an actor go too far for you? Oh, constantly. But I'm, I'm okay with that. That's the other thing I was going to say about the, uh, the Hannah thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I had an actor say, Yeah. But he 
He's still claiming he has a band. Yeah. And so during the family dinner scene, mm-hmm. he's basically doing the, he's not a teenager, but he's basically doing the snarky teenager, rolling his eyes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So during the dad's speech at one point, he said, can I, can I be like, <coughs> and I said no, because I thought it was too much. And I realized afterwards I should have said yes, because that, I think, is the smart thing to do as a director. Say yes to the impulse that the actor has. Mm-hmm. Let the actor explore it so that they own it. And now that they've owned it and it's manifest, now you can try to shape it. So I probably want to turn that down. If he's probably performing it at a seven or an eight, I might want to turn it down to about a two or a three. Right. But once he owns it, I think I'll have a chance of turning it down to two or three. There are those actors that it's impossible to pull back. Mm-hmm. But it's often much more hard to get somebody to go there than it is to pull back. Right, because if you tell the actor, no, you can't do it, all right. of a sudden the energy just shuts and down. That idea, right, that idea is now gone. It's closed off. And if I go back and say do it, then – and I've had actors – actors get frustrated with me because I have no problem with mm-hmm. in the process. As far as I'm concerned, I'm sketching. Yeah. And um, um, I also do uh, art modeling. And I had a class today in the teacher show. Um, Giacometti, I think it's the, um, the sculptor's name, mm-hmm. Giacometti, mm-hmm. Um, showed some drawings. Mm-hmm. The drawings were incredible. They were very sketchy. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a whole lot of this energy where lines come into a place like the eyes mm-hmm. are just this intersection of a bunch of lines that eventually make a sort of a circular shape that becomes eye. Oh, wow. But with all those lines going off in every direction, the energy of that eye is just intense. Yeah. Then she flipped to... Um, some photos of his sculpture. Mm-hmm. And I know the sculptures. They're all these real skinny. If you've ever seen them, they're these skinny. I think he's got some. I'm pretty sure in San Francisco there are a few of his angels. Mm-hmm. And they're they're incredible. Um, when I first saw them, I hated them because, like with many modern things, sometimes it feels like the artist is asking you to think. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, can I just see? Just show me what you do or what, why, what yeah. do I got to are we talking about abstract art, like Jackson Pollock or something well, like that? Well, it's a little bit abstract, but um, what she was saying that he got from his drawings mm-hmm. was by going wherever he needed. So what was great was in the drawings, there were drawings of figures. Mm-hmm. You would get a sense of the background and the figure, but there would be lines in every direction showing you perspective and lines just to show the energy, you know, like say the energy of a shadow mm-hmm. um, across the whole thing. So across the figure, across the room. Yeah. But that line is just one line. He hasn't differentiated. Yeah. Because um, that's not the style of art he's doing. Mm-hmm. And eventually he got to a place where he was able to translate this into his sculptures, that energy of those intersecting lines. Mm-hmm. So apparently he started, or the story that she told was that he got to the place in the sculptures where he was just carving so much away mm. that all was left were these really skinny figures. But in those little skinny figures, you might see what is a wonderful representation of a shoulder mm-hmm. on a figure, mm-hmm. but not a, you know, a clearly delineated yeah. figure of both shoulders and all that. The other one may just be a bunch of energy, not not a yeah. clear human figure. But there might be that energy of the shoulder, the energy of the whatever. Mm-hmm. And just by getting those little aspects of it, yeah. you can't help. And I, I was so happy to hear this because... When I lived in San Francisco, I would wander the streets. I loved walking, especially mm-hmm. walking market. And I saw one of the statues that's out in front of one of the buildings up towards the financial district. The other one is in somebody's lobby, one of the big hotel lobbies. And I would see them go. When I saw the second one, I was so mad because the first one, the first one had bothered me for so long. Mm-hmm. And I said, they got another one of these. 
um, I'm having a strong emotional, visceral reaction to mm-hmm. it. And I thought, this is so much better than somebody's, given that angels, the representation of angels, I, I am not a particularly religious person. Mm-hmm. Angels are kind of an abstraction to me. The representations of them have very much been Western civilization. Sure. Painting representations of them, very anglicized, very mm-hmm. pretty, pretty wings and all that. Sure. A real supernatural creature like that, mm-hmm. those, what we call wings, would not look like some big things off of a bird. They, right. they would be, it would be an intense experience. Yeah. And he has captured the energy of something that opens the door up to that. Yeah. To sort of take it back to theater, to be willing to do that kind of messy, strong sketching mm-hmm. when an actor makes a choice that I would never make or ask for. Right. But I see how it catches the visceral moment of that yeah. character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and work with that. Yeah, uh, one thing that I've learned from working with Susan Evans, because she really um, – because I understand the concept you're talking about. A lot of actors do way too much because they think, yeah. oh, you didn't get it. Let right. me do it again. Let me do it bigger. Right. Think without realizing, almost like how you act in film. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I did a, a film shoot with, um, um, oh, I can't think of the, um, I, I can't think of the, uh, the company. But basically we did Shadow Ball where I played um, James Big Cool Papa um, Bell. Uh, a Negro League baseball player. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I remember the camera was facing me, and I think I was just reacting to what someone else was saying. I didn't have any lines. And he says, you're too big. You're, you know, tone it down. Right. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> and he's like, the camera captures everything. Right. But, ba- but the basic idea is you can still show so much just by your presence. You have an energy inside of you. You don't have to. There's not a lot that you need to show. Right. Um, especially if it's if it's there. Now, if right. nothing's there, if you're just standing there, right. then obviously you're not right. doing, you're you're not doing there the work. waiting for your line. Right. As exactly. As being in the light. Exactly. No, so, I'm glad you mentioned film because mm-hmm. I have two examples. Right. No, so I understand exactly what you're saying. I think one thing that young actors need to understand is that if you have an energy, if you have, if you've done the work, if you know what your objectives are, if you understand what the beats are mm-hmm. and the obstacles and your need to fight through those obstacles, you don't need to do a whole lot. It's just like what you were saying. The artist who is, isn't drawing, is basically just drawing the bare essentials. Right. Just enough so that you can see, you, you know what the picture is, but you don't need all of the details. Right. Pick your details and, and make it about what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things... I sit in so many of these art classes, and I often get to see slideshows. And it's so funny that not even a young artist, but that you know that um, novice um, who is just starting to understand the craft and get some skills is so afraid to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you see in a lot of these slides are all the masters. They're not mistakes. I'm trying to figure out what something is, so I'm just going to put a line down because I know there's a diagonal something going mm-hmm. on. And then as I clean it up, yeah. The figure might not have that big, strong diagonal, mm-hmm. but at least I kept some element of that got me to where I needed to go. Right. It's sort of scaffolding. Yeah. Um, but film, when you, you mentioned that, my first thought was film about being too big. Yeah. Um, and the example that I often use in classes is, um, well, I have a personal example. Um, I got a big role in the film. Mm-hmm. And I was basically the secondary character. I was the foil. Mm-hmm. So 
so the main character meets me, and things start to change in the main character's life. Mm -hmm. And we go through a relationship until I finally die at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, very cool for me as an actor to have this big, chunky role. Nice. Um, we rehearsed it, mm -hmm. and then we got ready for the photo shoot. And I went into the first day of rehearsal, first day, not feeling like I was all the way off book, mm -hmm. which, as you get to that final part of the process in, in the stage rehearsal, you might be feeling a little green, a little not quite all done with the lines as you get into tech. You might still be discovering some stuff. Sure. You know, even sure. when I think I know the lines, I'm still trying to discover some stuff. Yeah. And sometimes the lines are not all there. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was. And so at, at the end of the day, he pulls me aside and he says, I know you're a stage actor. Because every time we shoot a scene, I can see the whole script going through your head. I can see how you are fitting this moment into mm -hmm. the whole script. Mm -hmm. He said, I need you not to do that. When we shoot a scene, I need you to just be in the moment of that scene. He said, if you don't know the lines, don't worry about it. Do as much as you know. We'll stop and we'll feed you the lines. We have to shoot it that mm -hmm. way. We'll do that. Interesting. And I shot the rest of the shoot um, uh -huh. with that knowledge. How did you make that adjustment? I mean, what it, what did you just... Uh, what, what? I, like, I stopped worrying about, you know, that big monologue that's coming up that I'm not sure if I got these sentences in the right order or that I keep messing up. Mm -hmm. or, um, I'm not worried about that big monologue. This is not the scene where I'm doing the big monologue. Uh, okay, yeah. And then the night before, mm -hmm. I was going to do the big monologue, and I made sure that I did all my re my homework then. Mm -hmm. Instead, you don't have that luxury. Right, exactly. Um, but in film, if you want to get a good performance, and the funny thing was with this film is the way the script was written, it was very much about the other character and mm -hmm. his coming of age. Yeah. Um, in the final product, the shoot is very much about how I am affecting him. Because in moments that he had written in the script where he was going to be focused on the main character saying stuff, mm -hmm. Instead, he kept doing more and more reaction shots of me taking stuff in as this guy was saying stuff. Oh, good. Stuff. Oh, good. Well, it's flattering, but it was like, whoa. Yeah. And, and it's one of the ways where film is different than stage acting and where I take no responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I'm doing. You you and the camera are doing your thing. Right. So this is my other example that yeah. I often talk about with yeah. kind of this, the differences in this, these acting styles. Is, um, so, uh, what's his name? Sean Penn mm -hmm. directed Colors. Oh, yeah. With Robert Duvall. Yeah. It was his first act, uh, first directing mm -hmm. thing. And he's got Robert Duvall. He's got one of the big heavies of Hollywood That's acting. right. That's right. So they're doing a scene where Duvall's character is supposed to have a reaction to something. He's like a tough cop, right? So, right. Yeah. Um, so not emotionally available, but he's having a reaction to mm -hmm. something. And it says in the script we're supposed to see this reaction as, as the scene goes on. Mm -hmm. So the story goes that um, they shoot the scene. And he's standing there, Sean Penn's standing there, and he feels like Duvall is almost dead to him. Mm. He's like, oh, that's, that's going to be rough. Um, let's shoot it again. Mm -hmm. uh, no, because you can do that. Uh, let's do another take of that. That was great. That was great, Bobby. He says, let's do it again. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, so they do it again. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Duvall looks dead. I can't tell him how to act. I can't tell him he needs to give me more. So they like lie and say, you know, there was a hair in the gate or something. Mm -hmm. Some reason we got to shoot it one more time. Mm -hmm. So they shoot it again. Still sees, and he's standing right behind the cameraman watching this. Mm. Still sees no reaction. Mm. Mm. 
just go look at the dailies and see what we got and see if I can work with it. Yeah. He goes and looks at the dailies that's in every shop. Mm-hmm. It's the slightest little subtle thing. So like you said, it's not showing. The ball isn't showing anything, but he is having an honest response, an honest emotional response. Right. And, and eventually does pick up. I was thinking just as you were talking about something early. I think we were talking about the stage and going through different things and trying out different things, which is something every actor should do um, because you'll have different reactions or you want to try out. Um, I, was, I, I, I have the, uh, the history of rock and roll. Um, I have a collection of that. And there's one episode where Carlos Santana is talking about how he plays the guitar. And he talks about playing hooky. He's basically saying, I'm trying out all sorts of different things. I'm just experimenting and throwing on all sorts of stuff. I mean, I was thinking about that as you were talking about the artist sure. who doesn't say, I made a mistake. He's right. saying, I'm trying out something different. Right. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, right. then, then whatever. Right. I'm not saying this is the way it has to be, but right. I'm throwing something down. Right, exactly. And I think Santana was saying, I'm just going to experiment and just see what works and what doesn't work, but it's in the experimenting that, that I can hone my craft. Right. And I can get something that's tangible that I can use on stage. Right. Which is, you know, exactly what the actor needs to do. Well, and that's, again, for stage, mm-hmm. you get that luxury in rehearsal. Sure. To go all over the... The other young actor that was in um, Death of a Salesman was mm-hmm. um, playing um, Muhammad. Uh, I, should, I should look at his name. Shahab. Um, anyway, he was playing uh, Happy. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was ever two rehearsals, or for that matter, two performances... Where he was exactly the same. He never phoned it in. Mm -hmm. He never said, oh, I found something great last night, so I'm just going to aim for that. Yeah. Good, good, good. He always tried to find it. If it fell in the similar groove, yeah, Yeah. that's because he's finding a groove. Yeah. But he was always looking to keep that alive. Right. And and flexible and reacting to the moment. And that's a danger for young actors, getting locked in. It's like, okay, I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. Lots of actors. I've done it. And caught myself doing it and saying, okay, I have to... Let go. That sweet spot, that was last night or two nights ago. Yeah. And last night I tried to do it again, and that didn't work. I need to let that go. <laughs> right. And maybe I'll find it again, but I can't aim for the sweet spot. I have mm-hmm. to, if I'm aiming for anything, I have to aim for those those tools that we know. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for my objective. I'm making sure that my obstacle feels real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm making sure that I'm not aware of my obstacle until somebody puts it in my face. Exactly. How real is the life that you're living on stage so that when those moments pop up, it really is authentic? Yeah. So we want to get into uh, where are they now or uh, something else? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, um, there were a couple. I had mentioned one kind of. Did someone, someone's bir- did someone have a birthday? Yeah. Well, I was going to say last week I was talking about, uh, I think I talked about Robert Sickmiller, mm-hmm. um, one of the Bay Area actors, the folks I call the Berkeley Mafia because they were here. Back when, mm. back when the magic started, back when Cal Shakes was Berkeley Shakes, these guys were in that scene and working, and they're still working some of them. Nice. And Sickler is one he's heading off to. He's going to be heading off. He's heading off, I guess, this coming week. Um, he'll be taking a little side trip and ending up in, I think, Denver, Colorado, Shakes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this week, um, there's going to be a celebration for another actor, the actor who played uh, Willie in Death of the Salesman, mm-hmm. Julian. Celebrating his birthday, and 
it's exciting. He's working on something. I bumped into him last week going to the other party. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I've got to go off because I'm going off to do another performance. Mm-hmm. And, and he was doing a Shakespeare speech at something. So it's oh, like, nice. You know. Um, so, um, yeah, but I talked about where are they now. Um, the one I wanted to mention this week specifically was um, I think of him as an old friend. We haven't seen each other in, jeez, it's been, it may be as much as two decades. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, we both, we met at the African American Shakespeare Company just as it was getting started. And he was a young guy, white actor. His name was Sean O'Neill. Okay. And, um, you know, definitely that sort of, if not the leading man type, the young ingenue, male ingenue, you okay. know, good looking, looks like, you know, <laughs> looks like a sword would fit in his hand, looks yeah. like the ladies would want to kiss him. Yeah. He was wonderfully intelligent, articulate, expressive, just a solid actor. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it's the African American Shakespeare Company. There are mm-hmm. only so many roles for white guys. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so many big roles. For, you know, I mean, from the beginning, the company has had a wonderful mix of folks, but. Mm-hmm. Sean eventually went off to do other things, mm-hmm. and we sort of lost track of each other, and then Facebook brought us together with friends. Yeah. I've noticed for the last, it's probably been a few years now that we've been Facebook friends, mm-hmm. he teaches, um, he brags about, you know, stuff that he's found, he's bragging is the right word, he's happy to share mm-hmm. his knowledge, so he's found something that works great, or he was bragging about his students and how well they're doing, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's so cool that he's bringing that knowledge to well, he posted something recently, and for some reason I happened to, I guess I didn't see it, Yeah. and it was a few days later, so I went to his page to find it, and I noticed on his page it says he's the principal of the school. Oh, no, principal. He is the principal of a high school. Uh-huh. And I'm like, holy cow, when did that happen? Yeah. And I'm looking at his pictures, and you know, none of us are young anymore. Right. But I can still see that same twinkle in that eye, the same. So know, how long ago did you... Well, African American Shakespeare Company starts in, I think, 94. Okay. Um, and so it was shortly after that. I'm not sure if he was in the first. It started with a set of scenes. There were yeah. scene nights, basically, yeah. that got put up. And then we eventually did a show. And mm-hmm. I think that's when he came into our picture. Okay. But he might have actually been in one of the sets of scene nights. Mm. It's so long. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, it's, to me, that's what, where are they now is part of what that mm-hmm. is to me is these are people who, come up with, and you never know. It's one of the things I always tell my students. Look at the people on either side of you. You don't know where these people are going yeah. in life. Yeah. And you should think of them as we don't have a book. I don't have a textbook for my class. Mm-hmm. I may bring in a few, you know, mm-hmm. chapters of some stuff that I like to share. Yeah. Uh, but your textbooks are your other, yourself and your other students, your fellow students. Right. Because you don't know where they're going. Mm-hmm. And just because one guy makes it to Broadway mm-hmm. and becomes a big star, yeah. movie star, yeah. Another guy who seemed just as talented, who was just as sharp, who was just as wonderful, mm-hmm. might end up being the principal at a high school somewhere. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of neat. And knowing that his knowledge of theater hasn't gone away, yeah. he's passing it on to another generation. So he might, I don't know, I want to ask him when we talk. We, we're now, because, because this just tickled me. Mm-hmm. I got in touch with him, so we're trying to find some time where we can actually sit down and catch up. Yeah. I would love to hear if he actually acts at all anymore. Because mm-hmm. um, that always excites me when somebody can pick it back up. I know there are those people who, once they get away from it long enough, it's kind of gone. Yeah. But I love those folks that stay
stay long in the tooth, as they say, and you know, yeah. continue. I have, a, I have a similar friend, uh, Robert Zick. I don't know if you know uh, Bob Zick, but uh, he he um, he also he he uh, another guy named Travis Bedard and myself and um, we basically answered a I think it was it wasn't Craigslist it was before Craigslist uh, 2001. Um, there was a company called Bay Stage. We created a company called Bay Stage with Michael Thomas Tower, and um, we did about three productions and then the money ran out and you know boom that was it. But Bob was one of the Bob is one of those guys. I'm talking like he's um, you know past tense. But he was an actor. He was a producer. He was a director. He pretty much did everything. He um, he and uh, Travis Bedard came from the University of New Hampshire, and they their their skill set as far they just came to the Bay Area uh, wanting to do theater, just hungry for just doing theater. They they built sets. They hung lights. They were designers. Uh, they were actors. They were producers. I don't think they did any writing, but it was wonderful to have just that energy. They were like, hey, we're going to do it. It's sort of like a young kid coming out of college. I'm going to tear the world up, and I'm just going to set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it wasn't necessarily about being a Hollywood superstar, but just let's build a theater. It's almost as, as – um, I think about Mickey Rooney, you know, like, <laughs> hey, let's do a show, <laughs> you know. And so he was part of EastEnders Repertory Company, pretty much doing everything. And then uh, he basically just um, he he left town. He disappeared. He um, I think he got involved in politics a little bit. But basically, to make a long story short, I think he's in L.A. and he's a school teacher. He's uh, <laughs> running a theater company, yeah, a theater um, division within a school. I don't know I don't know the name of the school. But I see him on, on Facebook all the time posting pictures. Y'all y'all have to forgive us because you know we we're not journalists. Yeah. Well we're talking stream of consciousness, you know, and um, but you know we'll we'll pop back in and also we don't even know who our audiences are. So let us let us know, you know, um, it's building. It's nice to see. Yeah, yeah, it is building. So um, but we were talking off off the mic mm-hmm. about people who jump into theater and then they move, they sort of merge into other little avenues, mm-hmm. which still share their expression. You know, we were, we were talking about people creating their own brands. Like, let's say you jump into theater and you re- and for whatever reason you can't do it because let's say you need a day job or what have you, and all of a sudden you take that energy that you have in theater and you put it in something else. Right. Um, and you know, you make me think of the. There's a young guy, another pink, another guy from uh, Death of a Salesman, a young mm-hmm. guy. Um, somebody was looking for an actor. Mm-hmm. So the next time I went into the show, I said, "Hey, uh, um, can I get your info? You know, uh, there's this project we're looking for somebody, mm-hmm. and I think you might be a good fit." Mm-hmm. He says, "Oh, I'm, I'm actually trying to pursue film right now." Mm-hmm. And I had to hear that. It, it caught me off guard. I, it, it stopped me. You know, yeah. what did they say? It took me back. I, 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 Internally, I felt myself kind of step back and go, oh, really, you? <laughs> and yeah. I thought, well, that's how people get to where they're going, is to mm-hmm. have that focus. So right. you already know, like, no, I'm not looking to put a whole lot of energy in to find some little stage yeah. thing. I want to do film. Go for it, dude. That, right. That'll get you there. And another friend of mine, uh, Gene Mossy, M-O-C-S-S-C-Y, uh, he's, uh, he is an actor currently in the Bay Area. 
but he also creates video games. And um, I got a call one day from him. This is uh, only a couple of years ago. And he was like, hey, um, I'm doing a video game and I need a voice. And I was like, wow, uh, sure, why not? And it's one of those examples where you have a skill set that you developed in theater. And right. all of a sudden you get a phone call or you have it in your mind. Hey, let me go do something else. And so voice acting. Have you, have you ever done voice acting? I have. Um, and it cracks me up because I... There's certain aspects of it I learned very quickly. So mm-hmm. the last, not the last one, because the last time I did it was actually um, Trevor Allen, local playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, has had some nice hits with things like Frankenstein, um, did an adaptation of Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah. got some legs that actually went through for at least a couple times. They mm-hmm. did it as a podcast, as a radio play. I'm not sure what you call it. Okay. Um, but he's got a, a series of monologues he calls 49 Miles. San Francisco, and that if you've ever seen the placards, there's street signs in San Francisco that say 49 miles. There was actually a tourist thing at one point, mm. and so there are all kinds of little points. Oh, like miles. 49, like yeah. 49ers or, or yeah, 1849. And, and San Francisco, they say it's 7 by 7, so 49. Got it. Um, Got it. But it takes you through town and around town, and so he went to different points. He wrote monologues about different points. I got mm. a new one, and it was actually a pair. It's a memory, but it's a father-daughter. Mm-hmm. But um, they're basically two interlocking monologues. Is what they are, so cool. That was, yeah, so I got to do that. Um, I remember at one point having somebody tell me, be careful about your pages, because everything is, you know, you're trying to control all of the distractions and the... Oh, yeah, every, every little thing, yeah. Like breathing so and this and that, yeah. I got um, asked to do a radio play, mm-hmm. and it was down by... say, like I would have, I would have like these little lines, I guess when the character is being moved around and I touch something, like this is a pen. And you're like, no, 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 lower. This is a pen. This is a pen. 
this is a pin. And I, it took me back to, I'm sure you had um, vocal coaches or you oh, had, yeah. um, you know, in school. And they talk about the resonators. You right. know, like you have your, you know, your top resonator, your mask, and, your, right. and whatever. And we use this in That's theater. Uh, and we use uh, talk about the articulators and right. the resonators and all that stuff. And all of that just came to be. And, um, but, but it was interesting how, just like in film, everyone can pick up what you, they see. Right. In radio or in the audio, everyone can pick up what you how you sound. Right. So. Yeah, no, it's it's like I say, it's a different style of acting. Mm-hmm. I have enjoyed those opportunities. I have not perceived that, and I'm like, eh, I enjoy it whenever I do it. Yeah. But it's when, same thing with film. Um, and I wouldn't mind doing more film. I enjoy film, and I've learned <laughs> over the years. I've learned that that initial lesson gave me. Because I suddenly realized, oh, if you mess up, they're just going to say, let's take it again. Yeah. And if you really have Especially since there's no real film. Right. If you practiced and you're ready and that was just a little mistake, you're not going to have that same hiccup more than likely. Right. Go ahead and come at it again. Right. If they ask to take it again, instead of trying, again, instead of trying to just hit that same groove you hit last Mm -hmm. time, is there something more here? Not trying to make it different, but don't try to make it the same. Mm-hmm. Give it, make, let it be a new performance mm-hmm. until they ask you to keep it the same. Just explore. And so, anytime I've done film work since then, I feel free to explore. And I actually did a short film where I read the script. Mm-hmm. I had a little part. Mm-hmm. There was a big fight scene. I was um, I was a professor mm-hmm. uh, who had been kidnapped, and mm-hmm. I'm rescued by the heroine. <laughs> okay. And then a big group of guys come in to fight her, martial arts fight. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I don't know nothing about this fight. I haven't practiced this fight. I haven't rehearsed this. I'm not part of this. So as soon as she frees me from the chair, I run to the door, which is what it says in the script. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to go sit in the other room while they shoot this fight. This is probably going to take the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go check out the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of the few times in my life I have ever tried to eat two burritos. Uh Uh-huh. Because I ate one, and it was still working. I started it on another one. I took be, most be, of the Be careful, because you have to go to the bathroom if you eat too many of those. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, I got nothing else to do. I was yeah. taking naps. Yeah. And before I could get all set, they said, no, 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 no. When you run to the door, you said, I know, it says you go, you run to the door. Yeah. I said, I want you to stay in the doorway and watch. Hmm. And the next thing I know, the cameraman is over there in my face, mm. shooting me in my reaction shots. <laughs> and then when they edited the film, they put yeah. them in as different parts of the fight happened. They put in all these reaction yeah. shots. I ended up getting uh, nominated. It was a little um, L.A. Uh, short, action shorts. Yeah, nice. Uh, I ended up getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Nice. Oh, yeah. Just by reactions. There you well, go. I had a scene. I mean, there was a scene where she catches yeah. me, and we have a little talk, and then the guys come in. Yeah. My reaction shots, and then I had another scene afterwards. But that's all I did. Yeah. So I just had a good time. I just had fun mm-hmm. going with the moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember to pull one of the PAs. Um, so I'm tied to a chair mm-hmm. when the heroine finds me. Mm-hmm. And she comes in, rips this tape off my mask, and I say, she suddenly, she looks at me stunned and throws me down. Hmm. I'm still tied to the chair. Mm-hmm. And what she sees that I don't see is that a red dot has appeared on my forehead. And so in one motion, she throws me down with her other hand. She spins around, pulls out a gun, and 
and shoots the guy who was aiming. Oh, it was a laser okay, sight. yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't think that was, I remember that in the script, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not ready for this, but they need to throw me down, and yeah. they need to get it so that it all happens in the way the director wants it to be, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm tied to a chair. You're not throwing me down. This is concrete. <laughs> so I said, well, what should we do? How can we do it? Can mm-hmm. we put something and keep it out of the shot? I said, no, 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 here's what you do. You get one of those soft luggage bags, you know, like a square, like a gym bag. Yeah. Take some of those pillows off the couch in the green room. Mm-hmm. Put them in that gym bag. Bring them in. Let her bring it in with her. Mm-hmm. She can put it down next to me. Mm-hmm. So the first, the opening shot is just me in the chair in the dim light, nothing else, mm-hmm. nothing in the picture. Mm-hmm. Nice. I knew the image you wanted. She comes in, she puts the bag down next to me, she does her spin, mm-hmm. pushes me, I fall onto the bag. Yeah, there you go. They shot that thing at least a dozen times. <laughs> I got not, and the poor PA comes over and says, mm-hmm. well, um, what, what if we tied you loosely? I said, you can't tie me loosely because supposedly in one swift motion, mm-hmm. this woman is supposed to knock me over and pull a gun out, spin around and shoot somebody. Yeah. So, and I'm tied to the chair and I'm weak when the camera comes up on me, I am slumped in the chair. Yeah. Supposedly I've been beaten, they made me up. They should have worked this thing out, you know, long before. Well, yeah. they, but they, you know, somebody doing another cheat, they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Um, I said, no, tie me to the chair mm-hmm. really tightly mm-hmm. so that when she does the motion, I can tip myself, but the chair's got to come with me if I'm yeah. loose. Yeah. So she's tying me. Is that tight enough? I'm like, no, you could actually make it a little tighter. <laughs> I need you to, you know, yeah. so she's worried about hurting me, and I'm yeah. like, I'm worried about falling over on this bag and this chair not moving. Right. I want this chair to be so tied to me that when I go over, we all just go plump into this into the pillow, and I'm safe. If it's loose, I'm going to get hit by the chair. I'm going to hit the chair on it. Yeah. And it was just funny to me that you know all these little details are something that I would assume somebody mm-hmm. else would fix, but I'm like, no, that's what happens in movies. Yeah. You, the actor, better take care of yourself. Yeah. And you better figure out how we can make this work so that you can do your acting. And not worry about getting hurt or mm-hmm. worried about whatever. Have you ever heard about the 48-hour film festival? Of they course. do it, yeah. And Lots so, of people do it now. Yeah, I did it a couple of years ago. Uh, there was a thing called um, A Few Pointers. That was the name of the short. Okay. And basically, I'm an old 18, uh, 1860s um, saloon car dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, it was a Colin Hussey who. Do you know Colin Hussey? Yeah, of course, of course you do. Um, he got me old the gig. Friend, yeah. yeah, old friend. Colin, what, what are you doing these days? Uh, so, uh, Colin's doing something. He just posted it. He just posted a couple days ago. You know, I did see a post by Colin. Um, I know, where, where are you now? Yeah, I know he still does photography. He, um, but he, he's fantastic. Uh, he's he's always uh, involved in some stuff. So, in any case, he's in it too, and the the plot. You know, it's really just a 15-minute short. Um, there's a gambler who gambles way too much money, and he decides to gamble his his shooting finger because he's a good shot. Wow. And uh, so the scene, and this is a 48, so the 48-hour film festival, basically the concept is you have 48 hours, two days to do all of your shoots, everything wrapped up right. from beginning to the end. To the edit. To the edit, exactly. So... I think they were trying to figure out how to cut the finger off <laughs> and do it realistically. Right. And, uh, and so, um, and I was like, wow, you guys didn't figure this. It's like, no, because we only had 48 hours to do whatever. Right. But listening to your story, 
it's always important, always, always be acting, always be on. Right. Because you never know when the camera is off. Or even on stage, someone may be, be pin, paying attention to the protagonist, someone may be looking at you. I think I took some of that film experience back to my experience on stage. Because I'd always heard the key, you know, the inner, di- inner monologue, mm-hmm. that there's always some life that your character's having. Any right. moment that you're on stage. Right. Just like in real life, there's something that is going, even when you're sitting and watching TV, that is something going wrong. That's right. So it is always active. Um, but I think the camera thing mm-hmm. allowed me to explore those silences and those places between the lines. Mm-hmm. Especially, I, like the reaction shot thing, when I had that film roll and I got, I learned that lesson real quick. I was like, so anytime you've got a monologue, if I'm on stage with you and you've got a monologue, mm-hmm. I'm looking at your monologue to see are there points where I might act like I'm getting ready to ask a question? Mm-hmm. Are there points where I'm disagreeing with what you're saying so that you further try to convince me? Yeah. You know, what is... Yeah. What is a lie? What can I do that keeps yeah. my character engaged? And it's funny you mention that. There have been times where I've done monologues on stage, and I'm looking at another actor, and I can tell if I'm not getting anything. Right. If they're uh, checked out. Yeah. yeah I, do, I don't. I'm not going to drop any names. Richard Wright. I remember doing a monologue and uh-huh. a, an older actor that I've had oh, right. some run-ins with. Right. You, yeah. you and I both know who he is. Yeah. And there will be times where I'm talking to him, and I can tell he's just waiting for the next line. Right. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You well, know, and, just and there are actors, and that's the other thing I learned in film. There are actors that have what they call the natural talent. They're mm-hmm. just going to do it. They're going to riff. Everything is a riff for them. And it's funny because I hear Mara talk about this all the time with mm-hmm. musicians. Yeah. Mara loves it. If you get her a chart, Mara is happy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mara will look. In fact, she's got one of her regular gigs she's had to sub out this weekend. Mm. They're actually doing, uh, she's doing, Pacific Mambo Orchestra is going to be at Yoshi's tomorrow, Saturday nice. night. Um, they're doing a CD release party for their second CD. Their first CD got a Grammy. Uh-huh. So nice. they're trying to see if they can hit gold, strike, you know, what is it, strike lightning twice or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, strike four mm-hmm. um, So she had to give up a couple of the gigs uh-huh. um, because she's got to be there. So she's been going over the charts and mm-hmm. cleaning that up. Say, oh, this guy's charts aren't really. I usually kind of, mm-hmm. I know what he wants or what he needs, and I just do it. So they give it, they give her the luxury to do but that. So she's well, she's subbing to somebody. So she basically she doesn't want to give it to them and say, this is what the chart says, but we really do something else. So she'll rewrite that stuff. But she's always talking about musicians who don't read charts and don't read music, mm-hmm. but their ear is so good and they know their instrument so well. You can tell them what the style is and what they're doing yep. or what you're looking for in a moment. And they can hit it. Yep. There are those actors as well. So I don't want to pretend like, you know, that classically trained Stanislavski actor is the best actor in the world. And that guy who never took a lesson at all isn't. That guy who never took a lesson at all might only be, he might be more limited mm-hmm. than what he can do. He might be, there might be styles that he's not familiar with and isn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But what he knows how to do, he knows how to do well. And his instincts for stuff are at least as sharp as mine or any classically trained actor. That's right. And, yeah, if you have the natural instincts, then that's fine. But you have to bring something. But, yeah, but there are those actors who know that they're going to do their thing and they haven't remembered just because the script didn't tell you to right. connect yeah. during the monologue yeah. that you should connect during the monologue. Right. And so the point is for, you know, anyone, you may not be speaking, but you're still feeding the other actor. Right. You're still There still has to be some sort of life. The playwright puts you on stage at that right. moment. So right. there's something that you're doing that is part of the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that is, it's your job to 
to find something that makes sense, tells the story, connects with those interactions. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Then it's, it's a worthwhile moment to read. Mm-hmm. Where are we at? Uh, the only other thing I had down was just the uh, upcoming, and we kind of jumped into it. That was one that I wanted to talk about. Oh, sure. What was coming up with, because, you know, um, when we talk about life, you know, the life of theater, the theater, how do we say that? <laughs> life in the theater and the theater of life. that my kids are going to be performing this weekend. I've got kids that will be performing in a couple of weeks, and we'll mm-hmm. probably end up talking about that mm-hmm. as well. Um, Michael Lane. We're going to talk about that. Oh, sure. So people probably know Ted Lane. She was mm-hmm. on uh, The Love Boat. He was uh, Isaac, the That's bartender right. on The Love Boat. Yeah, with that uh, wonderful mustache of his. What people may not remember or may not know is that he was from Oakland, born in mm-hmm. Oakland. Came up to the Bay Area theater scene. I first... I knew about him from TV, but I was working in a little theater over in San Francisco, a very old play, mm-hmm. and there was a picture of him up on the wall mm. doing Shakespeare. Oh, wow. And that was another connection I had with him, mm-hmm. um, was that uh, the woman that he worked with, her name was Roma, uh, I can't remember her last name, she was somebody who had worked with, like, Brecht, that wow. had come over, and, uh, and she had a, her way of, of doing it. She started uh-huh. the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. Wow, that's cool. And the one that currently exists is called the New San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. Uh-huh. No, she, that's what it was. There was the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of got squeezed out after starting it. So she started the New San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. Okay. And he had worked with her. Uh-huh. I got to work with her at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Shabaka from um, uh, Mind Tour mm-hmm. had also worked with her, I think. Um, yeah, I know him. Ted's brother, Michael, stayed here in the Bay Area and kept doing theater. In fact, a lot of people will probably remember him because for years he and whoever he could find would do um, Malcolm and Martin for um, sometimes for Black History Month, sometimes other times of the year. This a fictional debate, right? Hmm? It's all about a fictional it's debate. A, it's between. a fictional meeting. It's called a meeting um, of Malcolm and Martin, and they kept doing it even after they got long in the tooth, after they got older, they were still doing it. Mm-hmm. There's a memorial, and I'll make sure that I have more details about that next time. But um, I believe it's going to be at the African American Museum and Library mm-hmm. um, here in Oakland. Yeah. And it's part of the uh, public library system if you want to get more information. But they're going to have an exhibit of his stuff, and there's actually going to be some days to just memorialize him because he died. Is it Lang's, um, Ted Lang's brother? Yeah, Ted Lang's brother. Ted Lang apparently is still alive. We, yeah, yeah, that's right. We, we're looking we, it up we on did Wikipedia the Wikipedia thing. Yeah. Like, oh, he's still alive. <laughs> so the, the uh, brother Michael uh, mm. died, and uh, there's going to be a thing there, so maybe Ted will actually show up today. Okay, yeah. So that was something that's coming up. Um, Talk about the piano player. Piano player. Oh, gosh. That's another one from life. <laughs> um, piano player Rod Dibble. Um, the alley is a piano bar here, and there aren't that many left in the country. 
we love loan in this area. Yeah, it's on Grand there. Avenue. Yeah, yeah, it's on Grand. It's I think it's thirty three twenty five Grand. It's just up from the Grand Lake Theater mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the street. Yeah, it's a great place to, to hang out uh, if you just want to have a beer and, and sing. For decades, mm-hmm. it was a piano bar, and there was a guy playing piano. And for almost fifty years, it was Rod Gibbon, and he was getting up there. He's I think he's going to be eighty five this year. And Rod has had some health issues in recent years, so he actually came back from um, a heart bypass mm. um, and came back and played. And then he, uh, I'm not sure if it was this year or if it was late in the fall, that he broke a hip. Mm. And he was out again, but he's each time he said he's coming back, and it's like he's at that age where it's fantastic. you're not sure yeah. if he's coming back. So suddenly there was a big announcement last week that he was coming back, and he came back last night. He was in top form. He was fantastic. The regular, decades worth of regulars who mm-hmm. showed up to see him, old and young. There were a couple of guys that came in, and a couple of us older regulars. One, uh, the guy I was with said something, and one of the young guys stepped back and said, "Oh no, we know, we know," and they were very respectful. <laughs> and um, it was just an incredible night. So yeah. we got to welcome him back. Um, I'm sure that there will be some more opportunities to see him, but that was. There was a special night in Oakland history. Um, there's a lady who has played to sub for him at various points, and she now does uh, cruises. She uh-huh. plays oh, piano wow. bar on cruises. Yeah. And she actually drove all the way up from San Diego. Oh, just, just to hear them? Yeah. There was an older couple that I think the, uh, the gent is over 90 now, I think he said, and he drove in from Rio Vista. Mm-hmm. It was quite the night. And then the last upcoming event that I'll mention for now, and I'll bring more details, is I'm directing a piece for Playground. Uh, Playground does a best of and a festival of mm-hmm. plays, of new works, um, and that's all starting in May. Uh, May 11th, I believe, is when the best of is happening. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll be, I'll be directing as a member of that. So those are the apps coming up for me and your show that's coming up? Uh, yeah, I uh, plugged it beforehand. I'll plug it again. The Chain. Uh, which is a part of a new, it's a new musical. Um, it's, it's an excerpt of a musical, and uh, that'll be at the Ashby, and uh, that will be, uh, they haven't put, uh, I think there are flyers. I'll, I'll put a flyer up on, um, on uh, Facebook mm-hmm. uh, the next time I get around to it. It'll be uh, in, I believe we begin May. Hold on, I have my, I actually have this on my. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking on my iPhone right now. The 13th, I believe May the 13th. Yeah, it begins May the 13th. It's only three days. May the 13th through... No, no, hold on. No, I'm sorry. It's May the 20th. May the oh, 20th. So we will. We'll, yeah. we'll make sure we keep... That's right. May the 20th through... Uh, yeah, the 20th, 21st, and the 22nd. So that's the chain. It's at the Ashby Ashby, Ashby stage, stage up, on, uh, up in Berkeley, right across from Ashby Bart. Exactly. So if you jump on the Bart, um, as soon as you get out, you'll see the Ashby stage. Uh, Shotgun players is usually there. That's their that's their house, right? It is their house. Yeah. yeah exactly. So. But they're always encouraging other folks to bring you mm-hmm. know, bring in new works. Yeah. So that's it. We are not quite an hour and a half, but uh, oh, I think. Okay. Yeah. Where we are today. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you know what? The, the, 
That's right. Happy Mother's Day. Well, we still have, I think we'll have one more show before we get into, right, right. or maybe two more shows. Your mother, is your mother my, bio- mean, that age, <laughs> my biological mother, she passed away in 2006, but my second mom is alive and well. Uh, mom, you know, um, um, she's an ordained minister mm. in, um, in Virginia. And, uh, yeah, Reverend Joy Poindexter Newman. Uh, mom, happy birthday. Uh, not happy birthday, but happy Mother's Day. Happy I love mother. you so much. Yeah, my mother, my mother is still around. My stepmother is still around. Uh-huh. I feel like for my wedding. Last year, I had my my wife had my new mother-in-law. That's that, yeah. that that was her. She was representing. Her brother came out with his family mm-hmm. uh, and a cousin and uncle, or I guess it was a cousin and a next generation cousin. Mm-hmm. That was representation on her side. I had two sets of parents, uh-huh. <laughs> two sets of siblings. Uh-huh. I had so much. So yeah, I'm, I'll look forward to talking more about Mother's Day. Yeah, you know, and how that you know how that played into our life in the theater. I think that'll be a fun thing to touch yeah. on. Yeah, and also Mara. She, you know, Mother's Day to your and, wife. And yeah, we've already made our plans. So um, I guess I will share that one little story. So before we got tight, I got mm-hmm. to meet her mother. First Mother's Day, mm-hmm. we started dating in March. So Mother's Day came up, mm-hmm. and I was like, well. Yeah. So we took mom out. I don't know if we actually did it the first year. It might have been the next year around. Right? Okay. But we took mom out, and I mm-hmm. went to take her out to a special place. So mm-hmm. we went to Dragon Rouge. If folks are looking for a place to go, Dragon Rouge is in uh, Alameda. It's right on the water, right across the Park Street Bridge, and it's it's wow. gorgeous. Really nice. And uh, I do I think they do Thai or you know everything here is like cuisine because it's got to have that California thing. Yeah. This stuff with avocado. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, took her there. And she was just delighted. So we've taken her to a few nice places. And so we were saying, we're trying to figure out where we're going to take her this year. Mm-hmm. And Mara apparently said something to her. And she said, I like that one place. That's where we're going. We're going. <laughs> so we're going to go back to not uh-huh. Dragon Rouge. I, I don't even remember which one it is now. But we're going to get, like, uh-huh. okay, we'll find another, a new one for next year. But yeah. this year we're off the hook. Well, that's fantastic. Well, obviously you, you hit the mark right, right then and there. And I love Thai food. So i got to go to that place, too. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. wonderful. Nice. And like I said, you can sit, if the weather's nice, you can sit out on the patio, and it's on the estuary, so it's not a big waterway, but mm-hmm. that bridge, you can see that bridge go up and down, mm-hmm. and the weather can be beautiful, and it's, it's just, it's worth taking. Awesome, awesome. So that's my Mother's Day recommendation, if you're still looking, mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about it next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Reg Clay, and uh, see you next time. See you next time.